folks welcome into another edition of the orlando shirt show it is tuesday june 20th 2023 gavin eubank and kyle foley here this week to talk to you about all things shirts because that's really the only entertaining thing going on in the world right now kyle what kind of shirt are you wearing right now i'm wearing a kirby t-shirt that has kirby just sucking up a bunch of food it's a really, really comfortable, like nice soft cotton, which obviously living in Florida, it's really important to have a shirt that feels comfortable outside. So very, very breathable, very comfortable. I think I got it from like, I want to say I got it from Walmart. Uh, I mean, I, I listen, I'm a big fan of cheap shirts. Goodwill, good place to get some. I have a UC Irvine golf team t-shirt from like 2007 in my closet. I didn't buy it in 2007. I bought it like two years ago, but you know, found it a nice, good find. But yeah, you got to get a nice, like soft cotton. What about you? What do you, what do you have? What, what right are you wearing, now, Gavin? I just have a plain, um, like royal blue shirt on right now, but it is very comfortable. Old Navy, they were having a big sale uh, last week. So, you know, a lot of good t shirts, like 50% off. So, got this one for like six bucks. Um, got it like a maroon one, pretty similar to it, but just very comfortable. I love. You know, you come home from work and you get out of your uniform and just, I love to put on a nice comfy shirt. You know, like I just, being at home, being comfortable, it's certainly a big, uh, you know, paramount to pretty much anything. Um, I, one of my favorites getting a lot of use this month and a lot of use any month really is um, my shirt from the Target Pride collection last year, uh, trans rights or human rights, you know, get a lot of good use walking around the neighborhood, going out and about wearing that one. Um, you know, I'm waiting on my, uh, Orlando Sea Cow shirt that's supposed to be here by now that one of our former, uh, producers was, uh, allegedly sent to me. So, uh, that'll probably make its way up to A1 in the rotation once I get that one. But, uh, but yeah, looking forward to it. Um, all right. Well, if you've made it two minutes into the podcast now, you probably know this is not a, sh- a show about shirts. We are a soccer podcast. The problem is, Kyle... We got, I think we got a little, little too high and mighty last night, a little ahead of us, or last week ahead of ourselves. You know, a nine-point weekend, twelve points. You know, if you count all things considered, um, a nine-point weekend for Orlando soccer. It was a big fat goose egg this weekend. Um, not too hot, and you know what? I think it was. All three teams were on the road, which means there were no gummy worms anywhere near where the soccer is being played. So, it's true. Um, safe to say that that's pretty much the explanation and we can just wrap the show up yep nope that's it for this week i think we we can chalk it down to that it's uh yeah wow what a what a disappointing weekend on both ends i i talk about the the pride first because i think that was the more disappointing of the two results just given that that was a team at, at almost full strength marto's injured so not a completely full strength starting lineup but still a fairly consistent lineup and a strong lineup that we've seen is is really really capable they had just come off beating the defending nwsl champs 3-1 then they traveled to north carolina who the last time they played it was a 1-1 draw so you're thinking man this is going to be a good game and north carolina up towards the top of the table currently sitting in third right now which as we've seen from the pride they have a, they have done quite well this year knocking off these top teams. So I feel like everyone was expecting a better game out of this. And watching them, they just looked lethargic and out of it. They it like 
it just there was no energy there was no I mean it was a three nothing game and honestly it could have and should have been worse it's just a I mean like North Carolina had three big chances missed in that game so they had the three goals but they could have very easily had another three 66 percent possession 522 completed passes for an 87 percent rate to orlando's 203 although orlando did complete 69 percent of their passes so that part was nice but yeah i think the thing that we saw this weekend from the pride is they playing the same lineup or as close to the same lineup every game has really taken a toll and I was talking about this with some other folks the other day. I think the biggest thing, because the, the question is, okay, so some of these players looked out of their depth in that game, but who else do you have? Who do you have on the bench that's capable of coming in and really changing a game and really that you know, hey, they're strong enough to come fill fill in, not even just coming from the bench, but but starting a game and being able to do this. And, and the answer right now is there aren't any. The answer right now is there's not someone – that's not starting now that you can sit and go, well, that they clearly should be in the lineup. And I think the reason that is, is because, and, and this is going to sound like a hot take and I don't mean it this way, but the pride are trying to win too many games in that they, the correct approach to every game is we're going to play to win the game and we are going to do everything we can to win the game. But in terms of team selection, and sticking with the same lineup every game with all the travel and 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 everything else combined it really takes a toll on the players that are actively playing and it severely limits the development of the younger players so when you're only rotating in the younger players in a challenge cup game for example and you rotate in almost the entire lineup is rotated well you're not helping their confidence any so if they have like the the challenge cup game against washington spirit which was just a an abysmal performance but a lot of that was because you have players who haven't had a lot of playing time in general and haven't had a lot of playing time together so i i feel like something there has to change a little bit i think seb needs to be I don't want to say be okay with losing games because I, I understand that that's never a mentality that they're going to have because they're professionals and they're competitive and that, that spirit has done really well for them in the big games. But I do think there needs to be a bit of a shift on you can still have the mentality of we are capable of winning every game every week if we're at our best while still rotating the lineup a bit and giving some of these, especially these younger players, more minutes in meaningful games and playing with the the best players as well so having having players be able to rotate in not changing out both center backs in a game and and having a completely new partnership but having someone who's younger in with someone who's more experienced giving some of the young attacking players game time alongside marta or adriana and and letting them showcase what they can do in an already pretty strong lineup and so uh, instead of doing more full rotations you know every couple weeks just changing one or two pieces here or there it's going to allow the play players especially the younger ones to feel more comfortable and confident which is vital for their development and all that's going to do is help the team down the road when you have players that are missing whether it's injury whether it's uh, international duty or more importantly they're tired 
And I think one of the other things that that often kind of gets joked about a little bit when it comes to sports in Florida, I know there was the big thing with like the Dolphins playing the Bills earlier or last season, and they talked about you know oh it's the sun and the heat and but like doing all of your training in Florida, like and you know from your time living here, and any, anybody that lives in Florida knows walking outside to your car can be unbearable. And I'm not talking at like one o'clock when the sun's at its at its worst. I'm saying like seven thirty in the morning walking to your car feels like you're walking through a literal just fog, like a wall of, of sweat and humidity and it's it's nasty. And so there's something to be said about yeah, training in that type of weather all the time in the long run does pay off and and you are more used to it so you're able to play in that weather more but it also does tire you out a bit more at at any level right and if we're if we're to take two using north carolina as an example if you take two teams here and they have the same let's say it's the exact same sort of training the exact same time intensity drills like they're doing the exact same regimen and one's training in north carolina one's training in orlando just all of those things being equal the team training in florida is going to to feel that a little bit more i don't mean that training in orlando and and being a team at a place like this inherently makes you less prepared but i think when you combine that with you know most of the starting lineup playing week in and week out every single game there's not really as much of that kind of recovery time for them to allow them because they looked that's the thing watching this game against North Carolina they looked tired they looked like they just didn't have it and they were it was mental mistakes but it was even physically just not up to stuff and we've seen the players do better so I don't know what other explanation there is I don't think they showed up to the game went yeah we don't care I think a lot of it is just a physical exhaustion and mental exhaustion all of that combined and then a sense from the coaching staff of yeah but what else do we have and so I think there has to be a little bit of willingness and another thing to think about too is obviously Seb's job is secure this season I think everyone was expecting bottom of the league you know or thereabouts and right now they're they're about as close to the playoff line as they are to the bottom of the league playing pretty well in some good games I think exceeding most people's expectations but this team could could be so much worse, and nobody would be calling for Seb's head. I, I think, but I think because it's his first shot at having the full time job, there's got to be a part of him, of course, that's that's because in that business, results are what matter more than anything. And so there's always going to be that part of you that's like, well, we've got to win more. Ga- we have to just. That's the only way we can show progress. It's demoralizing to ourselves when we lose. It's frustrating for ownership and the fan base when we lose. And I get all of those things, and I think those are all. Like I think that's a very valid way of thinking and seeing things. But I do think to a certain extent, he, there has to be more willingness to experiment and be okay with, hey we're not always going to be able to put out our strongest strongest lineup. Sometimes we need to prioritize development over results, especially in a situation like this season where the expectations aren't very high. So it's okay, you know, long-term. It's not going to stop us from reaching our goals if we're not winning every game. So I'm hoping we'll see some of that adjust in the future. I think it's it's obviously really frustrating to see a three nothing result right on the back of a of a huge three one victory. But 
it's been a season of ups and downs and inconsistency. And so they're going to have to figure something out to develop more of that consistency so there aren't these massive ebbs and flows from week to week. For sure. And a couple of things to piggyback off of that, you know, Seb Hines after the game saying, quote, we just weren't ourselves. Every second ball, North Carolina was there. They pressed effectively and we didn't have that sharpness and it's becoming a theme away from home. He goes on to say, we didn't have the internal drive that we showed last week against Portland and go straight to the ball. Um, so that definitely goes to exactly what you're saying, you know, in terms of the the attitude and the the energy that the team had out there. I mean, you know, Seb sees it too, and it, it's definitely evident from the sideline and not just from watching on TV. Um, you know, you talk about the changes that were made, just one change to the starting lineup. So it was the exact same lineup, just, a, you know, 10 out of 11 starters from that game. Messiah Bright was getting the nod for this one. And then, you know, I think it's interesting. We get um, Amanda Allen, second professional appearance. She came on in the second half. You know, she's been away with the uh, with Canada at the U20 CONCACAF champions. So getting her back in, you know, you talk about not having those players to come in, not really having those people to kind of rotate in and around. You know, Allen's obviously a very highly talented, you know, highly touted prospect, uh, something that someone that the Pride have a lot of hope in and that, you know, kind of get her back now that hopefully she's going to be a little bit more involved granted i don't know if she's in contention for the world cup for canada you know maybe on a roster spot but certainly getting her involved more is, is definitely going to help the team moving forward um getting her more comfortable um but yeah three nothing loss 32nd minute 77th minute and then an own goal in the 83rd just disappointing to say the least you know we, like you said it, to come off the heels of of that game against portland and we were talking about it last week of being really a statement game and just not in necessarily in terms of like the pride are title contenders but the pride have fight in them and the pride can go out and compete against the best when when they need to and you know it seems like they kind of regressed back on after that it almost makes you feel like maybe it wasn't you know maybe it was just a one-off and and you really hope that really hoping that that was going to be a game last week that they were going to build off of and continue that momentum but uh, no signs of that this week that's for sure um but yeah back in action at home at explorer stadium the gummer rooms will be back against sporting or not sporting against kansas city current on saturday june 24th that game at seven on paramount plus um you think they're gonna rebound you think being at home i mean kansas city's not uh i'd have to check the standings but i don't think kansas city is one of the top teams in the league so it should be a a better more favorable matchup for the pride i'd say for sure i think i think it's a more favorable favorable matchup and i think being at home does help i also think when you come off the back of a disappointing loss like that more often than not teams tend to have a much better approach because they don't want to go through something like that again so i uh, relatively optimistic it'll be a better performance this week it also can't really be much worse <laughs> so yeah. i think yeah i think it'll be i think it'll be a better better week for sure yeah kansas city 12th dead last in the standings on nine points through 12 games so good opportunity for the pride to bounce back and hopefully reclaim some of that momentum um you know sitting here 
looking through some of the quotes from Seb Hines, and he says, I felt, I felt like it was probably a similar game comparing it to the game against Portland. We allowed the players to have more possession at the back. Probably one thing that North Carolina did more than Portland was that they played a lot more long balls in the back line, and it worked quite often dealing with long balls, making sure that we were ready. Um, so definitely some some game planning issues, it seems. Maybe not issues necessarily, but you know North Carolina coming prepared and coming with a good uh, a game plan that they executed in Orlando just couldn't stop. So a lot of game tape to be uh, reviewed this week and certainly a lot of opportunity for Seb and the players to work on that. Well, let's turn our attention now to the men's side. They were also on the road this weekend at New England against one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, Bruce Arena's New England Revolution. I don't know. You know, I thought it was going to be a tough game going into this one, and sure enough, it was Emmanuel Boateng in the 51st, Gustavo Bo in the 69th, and then Carlos Heel in the 85th. Duncan McGuire pulled one back for Orlando. Another, I mean, just a fantastically headed goal. Far post, a lot of uh, great direction, great power on that one. Uh, Duncan McGuire's fifth goal of the season, halfway through. I don't think anyone could have predicted that, um, but it wasn't enough. Or he pulled Orlando within one, but Carlos Hill, uh five minutes later, three to one, New England. Uh, just not, uh, you know, granted, it was a very uh, bad day, I guess you could say, in New England. I mean, it, it obviously doesn't ring as a good excuse if you're New England because you scored three goals and you still did enough to win the game, but rained all night, not fun conditions. Um, you know, you're playing on turf, all these things, you know, obviously a home field advantage for New England in that respect, but Orlando didn't really look the part. They just, they looked flat. You know, they, they had more shots. They outshot New England 16 to 4, 14. Uh, they were equal in shots on goal. Uh, Mason Stadiohar had a little bit of difficulty or Rafael Santos had a little bit of difficulty dealing with some, uh, dealing with some plays throughout the night, obviously leading to a couple of those goals there. But I mean, I don't know, man. Not a uh, not a good night for Orlando, that's for sure. No, and so I I'll start by saying my my biggest thing. I hate that MLS plays during international windows. I have hated it for a long time. I would have hated it if Orlando won three nothing. I I think it's in just an absurd why are we doing this and so you get teams that are missing their best players especially i mean when you're missing you're you talk about mason not having a great night mason did not have a great night i think at least one possibly two of those goals he could have stopped or at least pedro likely would have stopped and i think it's it's unfortunate because it you, you put these teams in the position talking about with the pride you know players who don't get a lot of playing time backup goalkeepers don't play often and when you go on the road against good teams and you're forced to play this because you don't have players there for international duty, it's absurd. It's absurd that they do this. And I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand the rationale behind it. I don't get why there's not a break whenever players are gone in international windows because they're always going to be the best players. It's always going to be – you're not going to take a break for the U20 World Cup, but you should be taking a break for – nations league or literally anything else that's like actual competitive you know international soccer but they don't they don't take a break and it's frustrating because you had to orlando did not look good 
it was it was rough. But I understand it because you're missing. You know, you've been on a six game unbeaten streak, and Faku had, had yeah, started a, looking yeah, really good, good again. Fikundo your your star goalkeeper was out. Like it's like, one of your key midfield players. Like, and on top of that, you got two players who are out with. Uh, with yellow card accumulation suspensions. So it's like, man, like that, that was just a recipe for disaster. I think the reason I started with the pride game in recording this is that I don't think the city game was nearly as disappointing because I think a, they're a very good team, new England and B, this is just, I mean, Orlando were very shorthanded. I was going to be very surprised if, if a win had come out of that and coming off the back of such a great unbeaten streak. I don't want to say I'm okay with the loss, but I'm much more okay with it. No, and I think, you know, it definitely doesn't help, too, that you get these international games, and the games, for the most part, are are, are largely over. But then you have another turnaround where it's like, it's one thing to be playing through an international window, but now you have such a short turnaround back to playing on Wednesday where even if these guys, you know, are available, they're getting right back into town. They're probably not going to be available um for orlando's game against philly on wednesday so i mean just just stupid scheduling all around and listen that's what these teams get now because mls wants to play take a month-long break from the season to play league's cup against league Mekis teams and yeah that's great and well but you know regular season competition should come first over anything and not an exhibition series against other teams outside your league but that's just the consequence in the world we're living in, you know, with Major League Soccer, and this is unfortunately one of the things that we have to deal with. Um, but yeah, not uh, not ideal in any scenario. But yeah, I mean, do you, do you, you, do you to... think do you think MLS is gonna make Inter Miami play without Messi once he's here if he's on international duty? I mean, that this season they'll have to. <laughs> I'm sure next season they're gonna take a nice hard look at the schedule and say, mm. will they? Will they have to? Well, I mean, I guess that also depends if Messi is continuing to play with Argentina. Has he? Has he? Well, he has he, recently because he, he, he was just he, he in China, will. was he? Yeah, yeah, he um, will. And he even said like, he, but he's not going to he... play in the next World Cup. So at some point, you'd have to assume he's going to retire. You say that, but I mean, he's already said that though. So I understand you say that, but if he's physically capable of doing it, I don't see why he wouldn't. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I'm sure we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, I, I personally read him coming to Miami despite everything he says as basically a taking it easy kind of thing you know it seems like his two best options were to go to Saudi Arabia or come to MLS and if Messi wanted to play at any elite club in the world he could easily do that um, yeah I think the, the but, level of competition in MLS is much stronger and it's a much more physical and like harsher league so I don't think it's more of a retirement thing I think it's it's going to be much more of a challenge physically for him to be playing here than it was in France. Like, I don't think, I don't think the teams are necessarily all, I think the best MLS teams would probably be, uh, scraping for, for European spots in the French league. I don't think they're going to be competing for the title, but I do think like the LAFCs of the world and even like Philadelphia and, and a team like even maybe new England, like are, would be very competitive in that league. So I don't think it's actually that much of a step down from the French league outside of at the top. No, I'm, so. I I agree with you in that respect. And and the thing I'm curious about is if Messi knows that, if he knows just how demanding this league is going to be, because I think the obvious outside perception though of this, of him making this move is obviously everyone and in Europe and whatnot sees it as well. 
there goes Messi. He's just going to MLS to play it easy. There's no promotion relegation. Everything's, you know, the games don't matter. Um, that I mean, that's the way that I would perceive him, at least, you know, maybe looking at it and thinking like, well, you know, I'll go live in Miami. I'll go make a nice pretty penny. I'll have a beautiful lifestyle. And at the end of the day, if I win or lose, it doesn't care. Um, you know, but yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you in the sense that it might be like Higuain, you know, Higuain, where he comes here and he's like, I didn't know this was going to be, <laughs> this shit was going to be so hard, man. Um, but who knows? Maybe he's talked to some people. I'd like to think that he's talked to some people. He's definitely talked to David Beckham and David's got to have warmed him by now. Like this isn't a K walk. You're going to have to come and actually work. Um, you know. I think maybe at the end of the day, Messi probably doesn't necessarily, he might not care about the results. That remains to be seen. I'll have to be convinced of it. But uh, no, I mean, I agree with you that it's, the league itself is definitely, um, what I hope is that is he brings more attention to the fact that Major League Soccer is a, a, a talented league, a quality league, and there's a lot of a lot of competitiveness here, so we'll see what happens well, with that. And so, and, and so that goes back to my like with 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 the Orlando situation in the game this weekend and playing during the international breaks. Like when you are a league that has top talent and has capable players and and players that are consistently being caught up for their national teams to the point where it makes such an impact. I think it's absurd that they play during these breaks, and I'm hoping that's something that will be reevaluated because MLS will not. If there were a situation this season, and I don't know if the isn't there a is it the September international window or is it or is it in October? I think it's in September, right? So if 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 Messi is called up to play for Argentina this year, while with Inter Miami, they will reschedule an Inter Miami game. They will not let Miami play without Messi available unless it's injury. They will not do that. They're just they won't. I want to believe it. I'm a little skeptical that they will go that far. Like I said, I, I bet that they were going to look at the schedule next year and say, where can we get Miami as many games out of conflict as possible? But I would, I'm a little skeptical of it, but I, I can absolutely see it happening. Like it's not a far fetched scenario knowing this league. That's for sure. Um, but yeah. So any more uh, thoughts on this new England game? No, it, it really was just uncharacteristic of, of them. They didn't yeah. look like themselves. They were missing some of the some of the key pieces. So, a very understandable result, even if it was disappointing. I, we'll see what things look like now this weekend. Believe traveling to Seattle, correct? They, well, they have Philadelphia on. Oh, that's right, Philadelphia then, on Wednesday, yeah. and then Seattle. Yeah. At so, Seattle. yeah. I, let's see how the next. Uh, <laughs> the next couple games go while still missing key players. And, uh, you know, maybe I, I, I'm assuming the games will get better. I'm assuming, I'm assuming the performances will get better than they were this weekend yeah, against, I'm, uh, against new England. I'm looking at it. So you got Philly this week. Philly is, uh, they've been struggling this year. So, I mean, you, you might have a pretty easier, not an easy game, but, Considering how Orlando handled Philadelphia early in the season, you know, it certainly is a game that they can get some points out of. Seattle, same thing. Um, well, actually, Seattle's pretty good. But even looking past that, you've got uh, Chicago after that at home, and then two days later, Toronto at home on the 4th of July. And then they uh, go to RSL three days later, so you've got three games in seven days there. 
three games that's in a, eight days. That's right? another. That's another. Why are we playing on the Fourth of July? Why are we? Why are we? Why are we doing this? Is it for the 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 absolute? You know, is it for the plethora of American players on the Orlando and Toronto FC squads that really want to honor their the their national holiday? Like, what the hell are we doing? They play on a Saturday and then turn around and play on a friggin' Tuesday for no reason. Well, because they gotta it's, they gotta uh, get all these games in before League's Cup because it's Toronto and then RSL four days later and then uh, week off you get it and then you go to Atlanta and that's that's it. You're getting a month break I, for League's Cup. Just, just do do Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Yeah. Just just you do can. that. Like that makes sense. Yeah, but no I one celebrates the fifth of July. No, but player uh, <laughs> safety and health and uh, sports have long given up any pretense of caring about that. But playing two games in such a short span of time, I mean, I guess like congrats, they don't have to travel. But yeah, yeah. that's ridiculous. That's MLS for you. Nothing makes sense. We're all just here for the lulls. Well, and, and I will say, it's not, it's not a uniquely MLS problem. I know the Premier League has a lot of problems with this, too, in the way they schedule games. I know it's been a big complaint from managers, especially of the teams that are playing in European competitions. So, like, I, I, I get it's not a uniquely MLS problem. It's just a soccer problem. They're like, yeah, let's just keep jamming in more games. Why not oh, yeah, no. add another tournament? Why not add another, you know, let's play with even less breaks in between and you wonder why players get hurt more often and, you know, whatever. Yeah, how many games did Kevin De Bruyne play this year? Like 70 between World Cup, all of Manchester United's runs. Like, these games are – it's getting ridiculous in terms of how much soccer players are having to play. And especially, I mean, even just kind of going back, I got lost um, – when you were you were talking about with the pride earlier, I mean, as far as playing in or in Orlando in the summer and everything, I mean, it it does take a toll, especially when you're Orlando City. I mean, we've seen this every year. Like this is where they slump in these summer months when it starts to get hot. And yeah, having all of these games congested like that doesn't help. So it's uh, definitely something I wish that you know would be addressed more, but. Here we are, still talking about it. So. Could you could just could you imagine, in the span of four days, going two separate times and spending two hours just standing outside, not even running, but just that you're gonna go stand outside for a couple hours in the in in July in Florida, and do two like outdoors days in that short of a span? You'd be we'd all be exhausted, and that's without accounting for playing a friggin' game of professional soccer. It's, it's, how, it's, it's, I hate it. At least they're not playing at, like, 3 p.m. in July. I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, I suppose I should pick my battles. Yeah, I mean, at least they did get rid of that, so there's, there's some, some condolences there for that. All right, um, well, let's uh, finish off this uh, triple zero weekend, Orlando City B. They went to Chicago, and they lost one to nothing. So disappointing results there as well. Unfortunate. They'll be back it, in action this weekend against. Ba, 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 ba. Oh, they're actually playing on. They're not in action this weekend. They have a week off. They'll be back home next Wednesday, June twenty eighth, to take on the Philadelphia Union. So that'll be in, at Osceola County Stadium. In good news, though, for Orlando soccer over the last couple of days, the Orlando City U17 
Academy team is now on to the quarterfinal of the MLS Next Cup. So they're doing go. pretty well. Speaking nice of which, to, nice to see. From the Orlando City game, we did forget to mention um, Juninho, 91st minute substitute, making his MLS debut. He was on the field for like 30 seconds before he had a, a decent opportunity, ripped a shot on just off target uh, from outside the box. Got into it, got a couple touches there. So, you know, good to see him. 22-year-old, he's featured 11 times for RCB since the beginning of the season. Um, and he's also served as the captain during points of this year. And as well as Javier Otero, goalkeeper for Orlando City B, he and uh, Juninho signed short-term agreements to be available for the game at New England this weekend. Uh, Otero didn't play, but with Pedro Galese out, it you know, helps to have some depth on the bench for goalkeepers behind Mason Staduar, who started this one. So, uh, you know. Good to see these guys getting involved. Good to see these guys with the team. You know, that's three players now in the last couple of weeks that we've gotten a chance to uh, see in Orlando City uniforms. Obviously, like I said, Otero didn't play, but we saw Juninho out there this weekend. So uh, you love to see it. You love to see these young guys get their opportunities and see the pipeline keep moving along. So, yeah. All right. Well, that pretty much does it for Orlando soccer. Let's uh, head into the final third of the show here with some MLS and world soccer news. The big story over the weekend, I think would have to be the United States men's national team gold, not gold cup nations league winners for the second year in a row. Uh, They defeated Mexico three, nothing in the semifinal. And then they defeated Canada in the final on Sunday night, USA back on top, baby. Number one, Mexico in shambles. Yes, just just an absolutely embarrassing performance from them, from the not just the playing, but from the fans and the players as well. Just just an absolutely awful. The game had to be ended a couple minutes early because of homophobic chants from the Mexico fans, which have still not gotten under control, despite the Mexican Federation, FIFA, Concacaf, all of the above spending several years coming out talking about it i'm sure the mexico soccer federation will find a way to punish their women's team for this and make them take the punishment because i believe that is correct me if i'm wrong that's what they did the last time or they had tried to do the last time i can't remember yeah, if they were like sorry can't them. play at home anymore and it was like this is literally the women <laughs> yeah they're like oh you have to play a certain amount of games without fans and they made the women do it which not where this stuff happened but that's what we do because why not it's it's absurd it's absurd that we're still having this issue with with homophobic chants and and sorts of and i will say too i had someone talk to me the other day about how and and the actual word being used is used in contexts where it's like the actual word is not a slur and it's referring to different things but in the context here in the way that it's been used in in these games it has absolutely been being used as a slur you're not seeing these fans come out and say oh we're not using the slur you're having the fans come out and say we're not going to listen to you we're going to keep doing this so it, it absolutely is being used in that context as a slur and it it has to stop and it's absurd so it, very disappointing to see unfortunately not surprising given the history of it happening kudos to canada for not falling into that trap and doing the same thing 
but yeah, it's just a real embarrassing look. But Diego Coca also no longer managing the Mexican national team. Kind of surprised on that one. He's clear and and not surprised it happened. Surprised on the timing of it. He's clearly not the biggest of their problems, but he's he's who took the brunt of it for now. So, you know, is what it is. It's nature of the beast and all that. But yeah, um, it's gonna be interesting to see what continues to happen with Mexico. Yet another trophy for the U.S. men's national team. Not under Greg Berhalter this time, but they uh, continue. I mean, the upward trajectory is there. You know, uh, Gio Reyna popping off in this in this final two assists. He did have to leave the game injured, but uh, another extremely impressive performance for him. Chris Richards gets his first career goal with the national team. You'd love to see it. Um, I mean, man. Balogun. Greg, Greg Holt Berhalter is coming back as coach, too. Don't forget about that. So oh, yeah, no, important. don't worry. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Let's just talk about the less uh, <laughs> less controversial stuff for the moment here. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, first goal um, in the game for, for Balogun. Big moment for him. You know, much-hyped player comes on, makes an impact for the national team. I mean – I I gotta say, like, you wouldn't know it if you only followed the United States men's national team through Twitter. You wouldn't have any idea that things could possibly be going so well for this team, for this group, for this um, for this entire player pool. I mean, the trajectory of the of the of this team is probably as high as it's ever been, especially with twenty twenty six just around the corner. You wouldn't know it, however, if you followed this team through Twitter, which is because, as you alluded to, they have a head coach again, permanently. That is Greg Berhalter, who was famously, uh, as you may know him, as the former head coach of the U.S. men's national team up until about six months ago when his contract expired. We don't have to rehash everything that's happened between them because everybody knows the story well enough. But after a uh, worldwide search, according to U.S. Soccer, Berhalter's back. He will remain the head coach. He will retake the reins. Um, it looks after the Gold Cup in July. It's, I don't think anybody has a clear explanation for. Uh, uh, I I did get one in watching last night. So basically, they they want to they don't want to go back to business as usual. So while they do think he's the best coaching option, they also have some things they want to change and want his support system to be a bit different. We don't know obviously what that's going to entail yet, but it sounds like they want to be able to implement some different things in the system potentially some checks and balances which a lot of us would be really happy to see but yeah so it sounds like they just want to take time to implement that and the gold cup is already being treated as a b team tournament anyway with a uh the squad that was selected so i i kind of get all that now the thing that made me pretty angry was when i discovered that he was just interviewed last week yeah, but I mean, it's not like he's a new candidate. You know, he he was the coach. I'm assuming that they interviewed other people, and then they were like, "All right, I well, let's, I know, would bring have assumed in. I would have assumed the former coach would have been the first interview because 
he's the one you need to spend the least time with. The fact that they just now talked to him for the first time about this this week, right after it was reported that Coop America was going after him, and then he's immediately rehired afterwards, just adds to the farcical nature of this entire process. You go six months and two different interim coaches before you've even interviewed the guy you end up hiring. And then you just hire the same old guy before after supposedly hiring a search firm to help you do it. Like, forget whether I think Berhalter is the best candidate or not. I don't. I don't think he's the best option because I think there were some good things on the field with U.S. soccer. I think there were also some really bad things in the way he he handled the Gio Reyna situation and and Gio's reaction to being told he wasn't going to play, which A, why you're telling a player like that he's not going to play that much absurd and b why you're getting mad at a 20 19 20 year old for re- responding like a 19 or 20 year old when you're a grown-ass man so to handle it the way that he did was was horrible what then claudia and, and danielle reyna did afterwards was was much worse just on a human being level but and then to find out that we're sitting here what eight months on from the world cup and he has not spoken to Gio at any point is like, what? (laughs) I mean, I believe it was like near the tail end of the um, Netherlands game or uh, some point in the world cup where um, Claudio's parent, Claudio's father was not Claudio's father. Gio's father was probably already visibly upset, very upset. And it's obviously like him and Claudio and Gio are probably in constant communication as father and sons typically are, especially with a relationship like this to the point where it's easy for the dad to get in his ear and immediately have him start boxing him out. Listen, I don't obviously, obviously I agree that the way that Burhalter, the, you know, even assuming that what you're saying at a leadership conference is, you know, quote off the record or whatever is going to stay in those rooms, even just to, to believe that is foolish on his part and to, to make those comments publicly and and eventually they get out is certainly not something that is easy to look at him favorably on, but when it was also just say like, thing, yeah, Gio's it's... a 20 year old and his reaction was that of a 20 year old, but he was also to the point of that. It was becoming a detriment to the team. It was becoming a distraction. It was a problem where he's, at training at a world cup and he's moping around and he's not hustling and he's faking injuries or whatever it is that has an effect on everybody. Like that is a big deal regardless of, you know, whether or not you're a fan of the player or not. And it, it certainly is well within his right as the coach to discipline that as he sees fit. Sure. And and I'm not defending Gio's reaction to that. He was wrong in, in the way he reacted and all of that. And obviously I, I do think it was very childish. I just think in the situation, you expect the adults in the room to be the adults in the room. And it's not just been with the, the situation with Gio. Obviously, there was the, the personal side of it. There's also just the sporting side of it of, like, he's arguably your most talented player in the pool. The fact that he's well, not a I mean, a he didn't see him as a healthy player. And, you know, I mean, he was only and Christian just Pulisic is. And, no, but and he, Christ- did, he only just saw – well, pre- Christian Pulisic is a much more important player to the U.S. at that World uh, Cup it, than Gio is. But – Gio is, is only he? barely returning with Dortmund going into that World Cup. So, isn't, I mean, isn't, Greg isn't has Christian, every right to believe. Isn't, isn't every single week Christian just barely returning back to being on the bench? That's a man well, who also becoming, is injured all the time. 
he, that's, and, and when he was healthy, him, yes. and he's when he was the new Gareth Bale, and when he was healthy, is not starting for his team. When Gio's healthy, he's playing a key role for Dortmund. I mean, he was healthy at the World Cup and was a you know an arguably an impact player for the U.S. Yeah, I just think when you have some players like Christian, for example, who no matter what, you're going to play them. If they say they're good to go, you're going to play them. And then on the flip side, he's got players like Gio where it doesn't matter that he thinks he's ready to go. You're going to say, nah, I'm, I'm not going to play you. And, and just It was just a baffling decision regardless of because he was, when he was on the field, he looks great. And he's ridiculous. He's, he's so important. Assisted both goals in the final against Canada the other day. Like, such an important player, such a weird move. I, I think the problem with Greg is he's a very stubborn person. He does not like to admit that he's wrong about decisions that he has made, and he likes to double down on things, And I think which is not new with U.S. men's national team managers. So it's potential, potential, you know, we could see a new system where there might be a little bit of like, hey, man, why are you making the call? And if you've got a good reason, that's one thing. But if you're just trying to double down, like, what are you doing here? So we'll see if there's some accountability there, which is exactly what he needs. But, yeah, I just don't think – I don't think he's a great he, – he does not make the best squad selections. And so that's why, more than anything, I'm not excited to see him back. I think they, he did decently well against CONCACAF teams but also didn't top the World Cup qualifying group. Pretty important. I think also the the lack of scheduling and trying to play top teams in your international friendlies, I think, is a is a choice and not a good one. And he I mean, chooses he was players. the manager during large part of COVID, so I and mean, he, that has well, a lot and, to do with it. And he chooses players for his system versus who's in form. Not bringing Ricardo Pepe to the World Cup, inexcusable. Bringing Josh Sargent, come on, what are we doing here? Like, there, there's a lot of decisions like that where you go, okay, I don't know what he's thinking other than he has a profile of player that he likes, but that's not how international management works. You cannot treat it like a club. And I, listen, can he, can those things grow and develop and change? Absolutely. Can the, uh, the right support system around him help? Sure. Is he a good coach? Yep. He's, he's proven he's a good coach at the club level. He knows what he's doing. I'm not saying he's bad. It just feels like such an uninspired pick when allegedly they, they went and interviewed all these top tier managers and names haven't come out, but they're alleging that they, they went to some of the best in the business. So, and I don't think there's a lot of managers that would turn down managing the U S men's national team. And I'm talking even top guys because there's a huge pool of talent and it's a country with a lot of resources. That's a really salivating project. So it just feels like an uninspired choice to just go back to what we've done before instead of trying something that can be better. It feels like a very U.S. soccer pick of just kind of well, retreading things. But, you know, we'll see the, how it pans out. Yes and no to certain points. I think for the quality of the job, I mean, yes, you know, you're, you're hosting a World Cup and it'll arguably be, arguably be one of the biggest World Cups. Um, that being said, outside of Copa America, the U.S. doesn't really play any competitive games. They don't have to qualify, so there's no qualifying coming up. So, you know, a lot of your job is just friendlies and that's it. <laughs> Doing your training camps. So I think that has something to do with it as far as attracting top talent, maybe. That being said, so I I do agree that I personally wouldn't have hired Greg Berhalter back. I think when you look at just the drama that has unfolded over the last six months and the whole thing, and, and now you have this situation where the player at the center of it and the coach at the center of it are going to be right back into the player coach dynamic in the same locker room, how that boils down. You know, it 
I would expect Greg to at least have some sort of professionality to it that, you know, it's tough to say how Gio's going to react. Obviously he's still young and it's still all fresh in his mind, everything that's going on. That being said, you know, I don't necessarily have a massive problem to the degree that a lot of fans do simply because the players themselves, the only people that truly matter in this decision, the only people that act wrong, that this decision Hold actually on. affects they like Greg Berhalter. They like playing for Greg Berhalter. They're happy that Greg Berhalter is bad. What in what job do employees choose their boss? I that argument to me is the dumbest. It matters the, if the you like your boss. Him. It matters no, it if doesn't. I enjoy playing for a coach. <laughs> it, it it does not. <laughs> that is. I mean, it matters on a personal level for the actual player there, but no job in the history of ever should be predicated on whether the people in a position to, to be working under them want them to be the boss or would prefer someone else because in the same way if like if the players are going like oh there's no way in hell I'm playing for him then yes at a certain point that that is a, like okay well if you have a whole player base it's not going to want to play for them but you can't go the defense for for Greg can't be well the players like him because of course they like him because they play under him you're going to So have, are you coming every out guy, as pro horrible bosses for on every, this podcast? Nope, I'm saying for every one player that consistently played for the national team under him that likes him there's probably Probably another five that didn't get call ups that hate that he got the job back. So yeah, the people that didn't that didn't get to play, but the people that are key factors to this team are happy that he's back. And that is and, and the only that to people me is a very and the, important and thing the, to note. And the only people in the U.S. soccer pool that are good enough to play for the national team are the ones that are playing on the national team. You are so right. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. <laughs> this group of players many of which that were brought into the national team pool by Greg Berhalter and are here because he was the head coach. Yes, it does matter whether or not that they enjoyed playing for him. I think that I will take Christian Pulisic's thoughts on people in power seriously when we're willing to ask about his thoughts on January 6th. Oh, my God. Listen, I, like I said, I, I wouldn't have brought him back. For, for not just the whole drama, but for the fact that I do believe that he has brought the program far along. However, I don't think that he is the guy that's going to bring this program to the next level. I that also don't think 2026 being all the, of the biggest should, tournament that the United States men's national team will ever play in. I don't think that he's the right coach that they should have on right. the sidelines it, to an, try to get them an, there. It's an uninspired pick. It's the safe option. I think he that gets a lot of said, I, I think I think he gets a lot of credit for things he shouldn't get credit for, but I also think he gets faulted for things he shouldn't get faulted for. I think most of the player development for the pool comes down to the clubs that these guys play for, more so than the national team. I think guys like Gio Reyna, but even even some of the other younger guys, Brendan Aronson, Weston McKenney, Eunice Musa, like those guys are developing at the club level. I don't think the national team is developing players. It's not what national teams do. So I think, yeah, they're gelling together in a system, but that pool was good regardless, and they're they're playing well. But, yeah, we expected that because of the talent. So I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he's fine. We could spend probably hours on this topic, but I think it's an uninspired pick. I think it's a bummer. And I will say, too, just to go just really quick, the last thing on the, the players really wanted him, a five-year-old also wants to eat a Happy Meal every day. 
they may really want something and that that's fine to take into account that doesn't always mean it's the best option it may even be an okay option but it doesn't mean there's not better out there you and i both agree that there probably are better options out there which is why i'm disappointed that they just went back to the well and and are doing the same thing and we're gonna hope it 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 gets exponentially better but I'm not optimistic on that. I th- I think we've kind of seen. I think the national team is looking better under BJ Callahan than they have under Greg Berhalter. All right, all right. You no. can't tell me you can't you can't tell me that there is a single game under Berhalter where this team looked more complete than they did in either the game against Mexico or the game against Canada. The United States. Yeah, but you're also you're saying that as if the United States has only looked great playing against Mexico and Canada in this Nations League final and semifinal. They have been handedly dominating Mexico now for the last couple of years to the point where it's not even a question of can the U.S. beat Mexico this time. It's the U.S. should beat Mexico. I mean, but they the couldn't US, beat Canada. Regardless of what you think about Greg Berhalter, they have more or less won just about everything in Concacaf. They made the round of sixteen at the World Cup, and they are very clearly. This group that, again, largely is together because Greg Berhalter put them together is having another is having a ton of fun playing together. Yeah, and nobody playing else, good nobody else could have could have put together that international his, team. His tenure, whether you like him or not, has been a complete success. It, it has been outside it, of the fact that decent. he didn't win the World Cup. Yeah, it's been it's been decent. It's not been bad. It's it's been better than the 2018 cycle because literally anything would have been better than that. So sure, it's been okay, but I have I have higher expectations. I think not. I think getting beaten and not being able to beat Canada in World Cup qualifying is disappointing. Letting prior to 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 right now, right now after the game on Sunday, I think most people would have said that Canada was the best performing Concacaf team. They were. It was close between them and the U.S., but I think a lot of people, the general consensus was Canada was the best team in Concacaf right now. The U.S. looked very inspired against them. They have not always looked inspired for games like that. They have scrapped out wins against teams. They just haven't looked as complete. They haven't looked as fluid or as, as threatening as they've looked. This is not me saying B.J. Callahan needs to be the guy that gets the job because I don't believe that, although what a hell of a resume where his only two games in management right now are wins against Mexico and Canada. That's pretty great. If I were him, I'd retire before the Gold Cup. But, you know, I hear Inter-Miami needs to do head coach. Uh, I just I think it shows some of the lack the 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 shortcomings of Greg's system and some of the things that might have been being held back that could be better elsewhere. So it's whatever it is what it is. I mean the the choices has been made and it'll be fine and they'll they'll have a decent showing in Copa America I would assume because of the talent that's there. But I'm not gonna sit here and say oh I'll hail Greg at the great things he's done. He's got a really talented pool. It's, he does. He does. He does have a talented pool, and you know he's won a lot with it. So I think that's that's quite important. Uh, I mean, the last thing I'll add is, listen. I like I said, I I wouldn't have rehired him, but I think I'm fine with it, mostly for the fact that it makes so many people irrationally upset. I enjoy that they're not happy. I enjoy that this makes so many people so unhappy. 
I just don't care. I I just don't. I don't. I just find it funny that this is upsetting. This is throwing off the balance of lives of so many people. And it's just, it's a soccer team. It's a sport. It's a child's game. (laughs) And it just happens to be one man who is in the job of coaching a team that has historically never been great. So what does it even matter at the end of the day? So, I mean, I think that take is dumb, but I also think being like super upset at the hire is also dumb. But I, I do think like, like I am very bothered by the processing. The part, the process was a joke. No, and it's fine. That's fair to criticize. I don't disagree with any of that. Um, all right, let's uh, let's let's do our weird cards and red news. Get out of here. We're almost at the hour mark. What do you got <laughs> yes. in weird news this week? Our our weird cards and our red news. Yeah, why do I keep doing that? I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's it's all right. One day <laughs> you will learn the English language. Uh, so I so, so I I had one I was going to use, but then I was reminded of this other one, <laughs> the U.S. Coast Guard and and other related agencies around the world are searching for the private company ocean gate expeditions submarine that was headed down to the wreckage of the titanic it's a sub that holds five passengers and it has been missing now Uh, about an hour and 45 minutes into their dive they lost contact off the coast of newfoundland a really funny that starlink was providing internet for the sub and they can't get in contact with anybody interesting who saw that coming also i feel like if there's one shipwreck you never want to take another ship to try to go explore it's or if there's one thing you don't like it's a titanic like like famous for sinking maybe don't go visit it like a tourist attraction i hope these people are found hope everything's okay you know i hope the millionaires that and billionaires i believe like one of them was a british billionaire on there i hope the billionaires are okay but yeah, maybe really dumb to try to go visit the wreckage of the Titanic as like a consumer tourism event. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? But yeah, lost. They lost a submarine. They they just straight up lost. Can't find it. Yeah. Um, speaking of the losing submarines, I've got. Uh... These the orcas are back, man, and they are taking down more boats. They are attacking boats. I don't have a specific link to this, but my weird news is just in general. I love seeing these stories, and they're coming back. And did you see this uh, piece written in the Atlantic this week? Um, just a oh, wonderful, brilliant take. Um, I don't have the headline in front of me, but it was uh, the orcas are not your friends. Please stop rooting for them to take these boats down. Was essentially the uh, gist of the story. And I got to say, uh, hard disagree, my dude. So, Wasn't uh, the name of the guy who wrote that article was Jacob Stern? Yeah, which, Jacob Stern. <laughs> who had also been a, a member of Yale's Yacht Club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the most like, oh, this is definitely a boat captain who wrote it. And then you read it and it was definitely a boat captain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm joining the war of the orcas on the side of the orcas. Killer whales are not our friends by Jacob Stern. Stop rooting for the orcas ramming boats. Uh, how about no? How about I continue <laughs> to root for them? Now I'm going to root for them even harder. Yes, yes. Uh, you got a red card playing advantage? I am going to play advantage, and I'm surprised that I'm going to play advantage to this, but it's the one-piece live-action adaptation, and more specifically the cast and Indiaki Godoy, who's playing monkey d luffy i watched the trailer i was a little iffy on it i was like uh it kind of looks i mean the cast looks really good but um i'm 
live action anime adaptations don't usually work. Then I watched a video where the the cast was was watching the trailer and reacting for the first time. And Inyaki, who who plays Monkey D. Luffy, who's the main character of One Piece, was like in tears watching it, like so excited and emotional. And like I will die for that man. Um, I love when people are passionate about projects and can put a lot of love and personal attachment to the things that they're doing. I think it really drives my enjoyment of things when I know that the people making it are enjoying it. So I'm really, really excited to, to see what they do with it. And obviously the creator of one piece is, is apparently a lot more heavily involved in approving the things that are in it. I guess Netflix, basically the deal was like, if he didn't like things that were in it, it wouldn't be made. So I'm a lot more optimistic about that now versus especially the avatar, the last airbender live action that they're trying to do again with a, an actor who plays Sokka, who lied about being, indigenous and all sorts of shenanigans so that show gets a gets a red card but yeah, the one piece i'm going to play advantage to them for now we'll see if they can take advantage of that advantage but i'm excited i'm gonna give a playing advantage this week to mark canha he is a member of the new york mets um it was pride night and uh for the mets this this past week and Mark changed his walk-up songs in honor of Pride Night to, you know, You Need to Calm Down by Taylor Swift, uh, Born This Way uh, by, uh, what's her name, Lady Gaga, uh, Vogue, I'm Coming Out, I Want to Dance with Somebody. I mean, you know, true, true. Uh, you'd love to see it. I mean, he put out a video, I think, before the game talking about how excited he was for Pride Night to, uh, you know, support the community you know and everything just to be a good uh good ally and and you love to see it you know especially with all of the uh i'll say negative energy generally coming out in major league baseball towards uh lgbt and uh, you know pride month in general um which is not enjoyable to see so it's nice to see something uh something good come out of it so uh yeah I, I learned that the texas rangers just like straight up aren't doing any pride nights are the only team yep. in baseball to they, do it which yep, is just the only like team that don't do a pride night that is and uh, i guess in interviews with uh i believe it was in the athletic that was reading us like it's because of people up top in the organization which is just a massive l imagine not supporting the lgbtq plus community imagine not just supporting human beings you know imagine not looking at another person who's just being themselves and be like yeah it's i can rock with that i it's uh, uh, literally i cannot fathom how people can be that way just just like love people man and support people and show them that you that you support them and so i i love when when people can come out and, and be supportive and especially in the midst of of a lot of vitriol and be good allies like we we support that i really like that i loved what orlando city and the pride did uh, in honor of the the pulse victims in their last home games and especially in the pride game putting covers over the the seats uh that spell out orlando and and putting the um the pride flag up there and the the fans putting up there the flags to to write out the number and just such a great like what a massive w for orlando i it's a rare a rare compliment 
to Orlando sports fans from me. Very, very proud of what they did and, and love that stuff. And I can't imagine not being like that. Of course. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, does anybody's personal preferences and choices and, and who they are, does it affect me? Uh, no. So why? Why would I have any second thoughts about it? I should. Um, one last tweet for the road here. Um, this was a, a viral one on Twitter the other day. Just found out Mama Mia and the Dark Knight came out on the same day in 2008. Barbie and Oppenheimer 1.0. So uh, we're going to do it again. We're running it back. Uh, I'm thinking that we can do a podcast maybe during the uh, during this long Leagues Cup break where you go see Oppenheimer, I go see Barbie, and we just share our experiences. I'm seeing both on opening oh, day. Okay. Oh, I'm like absolutely oh, doing on opening the opening day. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm doing the Boppenheimer double feature myself. Okay. And then I'm also I believe like that weekend or the weekend after my parents want to go see and my dad wants to go see Oppenheimer and my mom and brother want to go see Barbie and I think my dad does too. So I think I'm going to meet up with them, see Barbie with all of them. And then my brother and mom are going to leave my dad and I're going to go see Oppenheimer. But I'm gotta... debating I'm debating driving out to the Space Center and seeing it on the IMAX screen there because it's <laughs> it's supposedly like one of the best IMAX screens around. And the mm-hmm. one at Point Orlando like has giant streaks down the middle. So I'm like, mm-hmm. it's less appealing. I'm very, I'm intrigued by Oppenheimer and I do kind of want to see it, but I think I might wait to the reviews. Cause I mean, it, the hours, what it, over three hours long. I got to know that I'm going to get my, my time's worth out of three hours. There. Bro. It's, but, uh... it's, it's 17. I believe it's they said 17 miles of footage or seven miles of footage whatever it is it's ridiculous like for the imax reels oh it's it's great nolan is a is a day one watch for me all the time i will defend nolan to the death i not all of his movies are perfect but i like them i enjoy what he does i enjoy seeing them in imax uh big big fan of that christopher nolan guy so very excited for this it's also rated r for some some nudity and what people don't realize is the scene in the trailer where they show Einstein in the movie. He's actually just full nude standing by a lake. <laughs> Looking forward to, do you have a good shirt picked out for this, uh, for the Boppenheimer double feature? Oh, I don't yet. I think I'm going to get one of the custom made like half and half ones, you know? Ooh, that's a good idea. I like that. I think I'll have to do, I'll do the whole video trend where I go and I ask for a ticket to the movie and have them go, what movie? And then I'll have it, I'll have it look at me and, make it obvious you know keeping up with the trends that the kids are doing these days <laughs> so they call me trendy kyle that is that is definitely what the kids be calling you um for sure totally can confirm definitely not made up at all um all right well thanks for sticking around with us until next week i'm gavin that's kyle if you Bye-bye. if you got any good shirts Tweet them out to us. Oh, we'd love to yeah, know. Please, please. I I love to go on Twitter. We were talking about it last week. I think I I think I brought it up and just say where can I find this shirt? Um and and it'll give it to me on a shirt. So excited, um for sure. That but really that's all you got to do to get one of those shirts is just put a picture up on Twitter and say where can I find one of these and you'll have fifty bots in your mentions selling you that T-shirt. So it's a good point. Yeah, good plan. We'll have to get on that. Boppenheimer, check it out. See you guys next week. Bye-bye. See you.